Well, we have been in a series uh, that just started last week, but now you're talking about how to have spiritual conversations. And last week we talked about a study that basically said we don't like having spiritual conversations, or at least we don't do them very often. Uh, the study found that uh, if you had a spiritual conversation once a week, uh, then you would just be in like 7% of the average American, uh, or 13% of the average practicing Christian would have a spiritual conversation even just once a week. Uh, and the study found that the average person in our country would have a spiritual conversation once in the entire year. It's not a lot of spiritual conversations. Uh, and so if you've had that uh, spiritual conversation recently, chances are you or the person you talk to, that might be it for a while. Uh, we just don't tend to talk about our faith, about who God is. We don't talk about those things that often, even though uh, as Christians, we have plenty of things about Jesus, like, go out, make disciples, teach them. Uh, we have plenty of calls to go share our faith, and yet we don't always talk about it too much. And so one of the things that I found interesting was that study uh, that said that we don't talk about our faith that often. Uh, also was trying to figure out, well, why don't we talk about our faith that often? And so they found that most people either weren't interested in spiritual conversations or they wanted to avoid them. And I thought you might enjoy this list of the reasons people uh, don't want to talk about their faith that much. Uh, and so I've selected some, some ones that fall into the category of that we are actually just embarrassed as a whole. We're, we're worried about what people think about us. Uh, we feel shame. And so listen to some of the reasons people answered for why they didn't talk about spiritual conversations. Uh, one, I'm put off by how religion has been politicized. So there's a disgust around how faith has in, been involved in larger conversations. Here's another one. I don't want to be known as a religious person. Uh, and so there's an aversion even to just being identified in this category at all. I don't know how to talk about religious or spiritual topics without sounding weird. I love that answer. <laughs> I can't do it without sounding weird. I, I just can't. I, so I'm going to avoid this conversation. Uh, here's another one. I'm afraid people will see me as a fanatic or extremist. Kind of like an earlier suggestion of like, I don't want to be seen as a religious person. And this is pushing it even more. I don't want to be seen as an extremist. Here's another. I'm embarrassed by the way religious language has been used in popular culture. So maybe the things that I would say about my faith, I've heard those terms used in other kinds of ways. And I just, I'm afraid of, of, of using that language. And here's another one I found quite interesting. Religious language and jargon feels cheesy or outdated. So the way that we talk about our faith feels irrelevant, it feels cheesy, it feels awkward, and I just don't want uh, to talk about it. And so there's plenty of reasons people give of like, I'm just too embarrassed. I, I really don't want to talk about my faith. Uh, and it's a real hindrance to people. And so we should address the fact that maybe we feel a little awkward. Uh, maybe you've been at work and you're like, you know, my, I want to say something to a coworker, but it just feels weird. You know, and, and you, you've bit your tongue. You haven't said something that maybe you felt like you should, and, and it was just to stay comfortable, to stay out of an awkward situation. Uh, and, and maybe we've all been in that space. So maybe you talk about your faith, but you've had those moments where you just felt a little too awkward, and so you didn't talk about your faith. And so today we're going to talk about a very awkward story and maybe we don't talk about it that much as being an awkward story, uh, but we're going to talk about Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And this story is actually very awkward. 
um, in a lot of levels uh, because it's a story about all of these boundaries and expectations of how social norms should go, who should talk to who, and Jesus seems to be violating them all. And so here's a story about uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. And sometimes that already in that thought process and those categories, we don't fully know how to understand it. Uh, but the Jews and Samaritans are like cousins, so to speak. I mean, they're ethnically related. They have the same genealogies, but they've differed over time. But there's a lot of things that are different about them. Of They have different religious kind of worship uh, expectations and where they go to worship and how they worship. They have different lists of what's in their Bibles. Uh, and so they have some very different aspects to themselves. But they're still super close, super related. Um, but it's just an awkward neighbor relationship with one another. And so maybe it might help to hear the story a little bit from a different angle of just kind of get yourself into the mindset of why it feels weird that Jesus is going to talk to the Samaritan woman. So maybe we might just imagine today that we got a group of friends who live in Ann Arbor. Let's say they're Michigan fans. Let's say they're dressed like Michigan fans and they decide, we want to go to the Grand Rapids. We want to go, uh, maybe they, they just want to go out to the lake. Maybe they have friends, but we're going to travel to the Grand Rapids. And they might take the usual path. We like to avoid driving right through Lansing. And 96 just happens to kind of veer away so I don't have to actually drive through as much of Spartan land as, as I might have to. And so I avoid the path. But this group of friends decided we're going to go straight through that city. We're going to go into Lansing. And they're going into weird territory for themselves. And so they're dressed in their maize and blue and they, they're showing up in this Lansing town and, and the friends want to go get some supplies and so they go to the grocery store uh, but Jesus this, this other person in the group uh, decides he wants to get a drink and so he goes into the local bar and it, he shows up and it's a Magic Johnson themed Spartan themed green occasion it's a great Spartan themed bar and there's hardly anybody in there. It's not the right time of day for it to be very busy. Not that many customers. Maybe it's post-pandemic and it's a little empty. Uh, but he shows up, and there's a woman sitting there getting her drink, and, and he goes and sits right next to this woman. You know, there's a lot of other places. Why do you go sit next to me? You ever had that experience of like, why, you know, I just kind of wanted my personal space. But Jesus shows up, and he goes to this woman at the well, and he's like, hey, can you get me a drink? Can you imagine that, sitting at the bar and be like, hey, buy me a drink? The guy comes up, right, and asks the, the lady, can you get me a drink? And she's in her green Spartan wearing, like, hey, what is this? We're not even supposed to talk, right? We don't like each other, right? You know, uh, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're a man, I'm a woman. This is weird. Like, this is unusual. Why are you here? And the awkwardness of that, of like, what's going on here? And so Jesus just walks right on up to this woman and says, hey, I'd like a drink. And she's like, don't you know where we are? My ancestor, he found this well, right? He, she's going to talk about that of like, you think you have better things to offer than my ancestor? And like, hey, we're in my territory. What, what are you even doing here? Why are you talking to me? And it's an awkward situation. And we kind of get used to the imagery of the story for those of us who grew up in the church that Jesus meets this woman, they have a conversation. Uh, we're not as like, surprised by it because we've become used to this story. 
But in this story, there's kind of like some overtones of like expectations going on that you would hear this story as an ancient Jewish person and be like, this feels like it's supposed to be a romance story. Because the great ancestors in the faith of Genesis and in Exodus uh, had these stories where they met their spouses at the well. You had stories about Isaac and Rebekah, uh, Jacob and Rachel, Moses and Zipporah. Um, the well was a like social center place. It was a place where everybody had to come. Uh, you needed to drink water yourself. You needed your livestock to get their drink. Um, and so it was just a regular part of everyday life. People would show up at the well. If you were a young male looking to find a, a spouse, you could find maybe that there were some women going to the well to get some water, and maybe their fathers or brothers weren't around. <laughs> it might be a little bit easier to have a conversation. And so it became like a social hub. That's why I kind of framed it as like you went to a local place to get a drink, um, because it's just a social spot. And so in those Genesis stories, they'd find this uh, potential mate, and they'd get married, and they'd bring families together. And so John tells us the story about Jesus going and meeting a woman at the well, and it's like, this is a little bit weird. Wait, you're a man, I'm a woman, why are we talking? And it's a little bit awkward. And so what's so interesting is Jesus doesn't seem to care about being socially awkward, unusual, breaking expectations and norms. Like so often they're like, hey, we don't talk to this person, we don't eat with that person. And Jesus doesn't care about those things, he just meets people where they're at. And so Jesus is, like, the Gospels are filled with Jesus stories about people feeling like he's a little socially awkward because he's not filling out uh, the expectations of, like, there's boundaries, there's people you talk to, people you don't talk to. I mean, if you think about, like, if you were writing the Bible, you would want to, like, try to cast everything in the best perfect light. You wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily tell stories in which Jesus' family hear about what he's doing, and they're, they, they feel embarrassed. They want to go take him home. They show up at his door, like, where's Jesus? Let's take him home. And Jesus says, hey, uh, you're my father. You're my brothers and sisters. You know, like, those who, who have faith, those who walk with me, that's my family. And so his family's embarrassed by him. There's so many religious opponents in the stories who feel embarrassed, who, feel, who try to shame Jesus. They're like, how dare you eat with those people? How dare you drink with those people? And they call him a glutton and a drunkard. And they're shaming him. But Jesus isn't shamed by that. Jesus doesn't uh, bear that and crumble at that. Uh, there are people that criticize the way he works or doesn't work. There's all these Sabbath practices about on the Sabbath day when you rest, you shouldn't do these kinds of things. And they're like, why is Jesus doing these things? He's not supposed to do these things. And Jesus doesn't care about what public opinion is about him. He just meets people and their needs wherever they are. And so it's in this story that we just kind of peek ahead that, that Jesus is talking to this woman, and if you didn't feel like it was awkward, like John wants to make it really obvious that it was awkward. Uh, when the disciples show up later in the story, John writes that just then his disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? And I just love the comedy of like it putting some hypothetical questions in the disciples' mouths of like, they have a lot of questions. No one said any of these questions, but they're thinking them. And you know those moments in your life where you've been like, what is going on here? And you've had 20 questions, and, and maybe you've bit your tongue, or maybe you've announced them out loud. But the disciples are like, this is a little bit weird. 
And so, but they don't say anything. And so it's into this awkward situation um, that Jesus acts differently. Now, um, I, I want to point out that we spend a lot of time and anxiety around what are other people thinking about us? What are they saying about us? And you try to calculate sometimes how you should behave, what you should say based on how you think that might affect other people around you. Um, but Jesus doesn't seem to care in this story, right? The disciples come in, they've got weird questions. He wants to talk to this woman. He has, a, has something to share with her, and he's not worried about those things. Um, but if you've ever um, been anxious about what are people going to think about me, say about me, just rest in the fact that you could be Jesus and people will still think weird things about you. They'll still say weird things about you. They'll still do things uh, to, to resist, to push, to fight back. Um, it's kind of an impossible task to ever try to live your life in a way that no one will ever think that you're a little bit awkward. We can kind of just embrace, people are gonna find us awkward. There's social norms and boundaries that just are gonna get pushed, that are just going to be uh, fuzzy. And so we can't control those things. Uh, you might have, if you were here with us in person last week, you might have noticed uh, Beth's parents were in town, and we got to see her family, and it had been about a year since she had seen her parents, and we were excited to have them. And so Beth, you know, as you would, maybe she took a, a day off here or there as they were in town to spend a little bit more time with her family. And next thing she knew, she was getting messages from some of her colleagues at work who said, you know, I heard a rumor that you went and did some interviews, that that's why you were taking time off, was, was you had some interviews at some other schools. And at first, it's just kind of laugh it off, like, that's funny, like, what, why would, why on earth did somebody say that or think that? But then you hear more and more people tell you, hey, I heard that you were having interviews. <laughs> like, I didn't even do anything. <laughs> my family, like, I, I, I told you my family was here. I went and saw a family. And so it, you, you didn't have to do anything for an awkward situation to emerge. Other people can think whatever they think. They can say whatever they say. And so without even trying, uh, we're just going to be put into some awkward situations where we don't always know what to say or to do. And uh, I like the definition about embarrassment. Uh, maybe it might help to understand these awkward moments. Susan David, who's a Harvard psychologist and wrote the book Emotional Agility, she described embarrassment as a self-conscious emotion, something that we experience in relationship to others when we make a mistake or behave in a way that is against social norms or standards. Um, but basically, it's just when you experience the limits of boundaries and norms and expectations. And so we're not used to being pushed to a certain limit, and then we start feeling awkward and embarrassed, and we're not sure what to do. Um, but we live in pushing boundaries moments. And, and if we want anything beyond the status quo, anything beyond our current everyday life, if we want something more, if God wants to do something greater, at some point we have to push through some boundaries. We have to push through into some new things about ourselves, new things about our friends, our family. And so if anything's gonna change, if God's gonna do something new, it's gonna be a little awkward. It's gonna push us out of our norm. And so it's those places that we avoid, like we spend most of the time when we feel embarrassed or awkward wanting to be anywhere but that moment. And then after that moment, we remember it forever, basically. We just can't help but think about the embarrassing, awkward moments of our life. 
They become stories you share with people, things that you laugh about later. Uh, But in the moment, you want to avoid it so much. But maybe we should lean into some opportunities to have some, some awkwardness of hitting and going past the boundaries of our expectations and our norms into what God might do. And so Jesus shows up into an awkward situation, uh, and the Samaritan woman assumes things are gonna go normally. She's like, this is a little weird, but she expects this conversation to be a normal conversation. Um, He wants a drink, she's like, hey, um, why are we talking? And then Jesus tells, tells her, you know, if you actually knew who I was, you would ask me of the living water. Uh, water that will make you never thirst again. And she's like, what on earth are you talking about? She expects a normal everyday conversation and is like, what on earth is this living water conversation? And so she's like, oh yeah, you've got some magic water that I'll never be thirsty again. Sure, buddy, I'll, I'll take that. You know, is she actually believing him when he offers that? She's like, I don't even know, like you don't even have a bucket. How are you giving me the special water that's gonna change my life? She just thinks that it's a regular person, regular conversation. And she assumes he's a regular guy. Uh, and the guys in her life have let her down over and over. And so why does she have any expectation that Jesus is going to be any different? Uh, we find out later in the story that she's had five husbands and the person that she's with now won't commit and is not uh, marrying her. And in that culture, um, like, because in our culture, we, we tend to map things onto this person here. Um, but as the woman in that situation in that time, uh, she's not able to just leave people and kind of economically survive on her own. Like she's being put out by people in her life that, that the men in her life had dismissed her and pushed her away. And it was not easy to, to survive that as a woman at that time. And so all these men have led her down and she assumes who's this guy that's showing up? Like what's he gonna have to offer? Um, maybe he's distrustful. And so she has expectations about how this conversation is going to go. And too often we are in that same boat of we expect the ordinary. We expect the regular thing to happen in any sort of scenario that we're at. Uh, I don't think many of us go into most moments of our life and assume a Jesus miraculous thing is going to happen here. Uh, We go with ordinary expectations, that this is just another regular day, another regular moment. And so we set limitations on our expectations. And Jesus pushes past those limits, makes it a little awkward, makes her realize that something different is going on here. And so Jesus is like, no, I, I want to offer you life. That living water, you know, like it's not just water, but the thing that gets added to that language is living life. That I want you to be able to live to be able to flourish, to be able to grow, to be able to develop. And Jesus offers her something powerful which seems impossible. And they're at that scene where it's a well, right? It's a scene where Israel was supposed to be watered there. They were supposed to have life in this place. That that's why they were there, that that Jacob, you know, the great ancestor in the faith has found this well and and it's supposed to bring water and life to the, the people, to the animals. Uh, that this is supposed to be a, a land, a nation, a place that grows into what God has for it. Uh, but it hasn't grown that way quite yet. Uh, they're divided. Jews and Samaritans, the neighbors, they're, they're fighting. They're, they're at odds with one another. Uh, the woman even brings up a lot of those topics. Where do you worship? Where do I worship? 
and they're not flourishing, they're not living, she's not living into the fullness of what God might have for her. And so she has settled on expectations. The Jews and the Samaritans had settled on expectations about who each other were. Uh, we kind of make jokes about, we have, you know, if you're a Michigan fan or a Michigan State fan, you've got expectations about the other school and the other uh, alumni. Uh, but we have expectations for each other that set limits. But God wants to grow people, wants to give life so that they can flourish beyond whatever boundaries we put on each other. And so it's in that that Jesus offers life. And I think what powerfully hits her, because he offers this and she doesn't quite believe him yet, where the story turns, where it changes, is when Jesus tells her her story. Right, so she's like, yeah, yeah, give me that water, sure. And he tells her, why don't you go get your husband? Which again, in the romance, like weird, like what genre is this story? Uh, you ever know a guy that has asked something like, hey, you know, uh, how's your boyfriend? Uh, as a way to find out if you have a boyfriend. Um, hey, why don't you go find your husband? Well, you know, I, I don't actually have one. And he's like, oh, yeah, but... Let me tell you your story. Uh, you've actually been married five times, and the person you're with is not your husband. And she's like, wait on, who on earth am I talking to? You know my story too well, and it's in a summary form. Later she says, this man told me everything I'd ever done. I think there's an aspect to this woman's life where she feels embarrassed about her own life. And maybe the people in her village also feel that shame. Maybe they say it to her. Maybe they shame her. Or maybe nobody talks about it. Because it's like everybody knows the gossip, but nobody actually goes to ever tell her about it. Nobody says what people are thinking, what they're doing. And so Jesus just flat out brings it up. Again, the awkwardness of like, I, I know who you are. And I came to talk to you. I still value you as a person. I still want to offer you life I'm not ashamed of who you are. I don't want to hide from you. I'm not going to go sit somewhere else. I know your story, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to have a conversation and an opportunity with you. And I think for so many of us, we've lived a little bit of that Samaritan woman's life where we feel so embarrassed about things of who we are that we don't imagine we might have life. We don't imagine anybody else would show up and actually want to talk with us if they knew the hidden parts of our life, the things that you're ashamed of that you hide from that you can actually just bring to God and, and that God is able to bring life and love even on our darkest days. And so when that woman realizes who he is, you must be a prophet, like, who are you? You are different. You've broken my expectations. Give me some sort of boundary to understand who you are. And she goes running off to the village and she can't help but share everything about her experience. Let me tell you about this guy I met. And I wonder, like, at first glance, how that sounds to the other people. Like, oh, goodness, here we go again. Let me tell you about this guy. He told me everything about who I am. You have to go meet him. And you're like, wait a minute. You're the person I've been gossiping about. I don't like when you show up and you're, like, admitting your story. It really, like, defeats the power of gossip. Because you feel like you're so, you're so greater than the other person. You know this little juicy bit of information. But if they are willing to come up to you and say, like, here's my story, and let me talk about what redemption looks like. Man, my life was so messed up, but look what God is doing. 
it robs that kind of shame culture to just bring it out to the light. Say, here's who I am. And there's a way in which that's the gospel story is a whole bunch of times people tried to shame each other and push people down, and Jesus keeps breaking through that. They think if we crucify someone, we will bring fear and shame. People will be so dishonored that they'll run away. They'll never resist us. And then Jesus' crucifixion becomes uh, the glorification hour in the story in which uh, you can't shame Jesus. You can't mock him. Like, you're trying to. But the man on that cross hears the mockery and says, Father, forgive them. It's like you lose your power when you're trying to shame someone who's like, I love you. I hear it. I want your forgiveness. I want life for you. And so this story is an invitation into a life in which you can realize that God loves you, no matter how embarrassed you are about parts of yourself. And that if you actually have eyes for those moments where God brings life, where you have felt shame, where you felt like you needed to hide, um, those moments become the things that we share. So the very thing we hide from, the very thing we're embarrassed about becomes the opportunity to have a conversation. So you might be afraid, what are people gonna think about me? But actually when we have the courage to show up and to talk through who we are and what life might look like, uh, that's where hope happens. And that's where this village hears this woman's story and they come looking like, who on earth is this guy? I wanna see for myself. And when they experience it, they say, you know, we, we heard and we believed, but, but now we know and we believe on our own. And so if you struggle with having spiritual conversations, if you're like, I don't know if I want to talk about my faith, maybe just spend some time in gratitude thinking about what God has done in your life. When you think about where God has brought life and hope, it's hard to stop talking about it when we stay in that place of realizing where that well is, where that source of life is. Uh, and it doesn't become an awkward, embarrassing thing about ourselves. It's like, no, this is the thing that gives me life. Why would I not want to talk about it? Why would I want to hide from the thing that gives me hope? And so my encouragement today is just, if you've ever felt that embarrassment of like, I don't want to talk about my faith, that feels a little bit cringy, just reflect on God's life and hope and rest in that and see if that might change a little bit of your, your anxieties. Um, but just to have the courage to bring that living water to whoever you meet. Uh, and not to set your expectations too low, but that anybody you encounter might be the chance for a little bit of an awkward conversation that is actually a life-giving one, one that brings change and hope to someone else's life. And so this week, maybe just spend time in prayer each day. Think about, God, what, what am I... What are your blessings in my life? What should I be grateful for? And just sit on those and see if it doesn't just happen to already start seeping out into your regular everyday life as you can't help but share about it once you dwell on that. So let us all rest next to God's great well of life-giving, powerful courage and hope for us all. Would you pray with me? Lord, I know that there are certainly uh, those in this room, including myself, who have had moments where we've felt embarrassed, we've felt uh, shy about who we are in you. 
Lord, we felt embarrassed to talk about who you are or what you are doing in our lives. Lord, I ask that you would just bring courage and clarity to those uh, who feel that, that embarrassment and that shame. Lord, help us to identify with you that no matter uh, how distant we feel, uh, to know that you always want to show up to bring life to us, that you always are there close by. Lord, we ask that you might help us to not only be grateful, not only be uh, proud of who you are and what you do in our lives, that uh, we also ask that you might open up our our, our speech, our communications. Lord, help us to share who you are, to bring life to those around us who are in despair, who feel hopeless, who feel alone. Lord, let us be people who celebrate who you are and can't help but share about it. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.